Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, let's see a show of hands. Raise your hand if you can relate to anything you just saw in that video. Oh my goodness. Okay, now the rest of you raise your hands to acknowledge that your family's not perfect either. Can I just see everyone else? Raise your hands. Oh my goodness, I relate to so much of that video. Family is crazy, and that's why we've called this series, These People Are Crazy. I mean, every family has that one crazy person in it, and maybe you're that person, or maybe that's your Uncle Rob, but we've all got that crazy person in our family, and the reality is family dynamics are difficult. And family dynamics can be discouraging. The people we love the most have the power to hurt us the most and to discourage us the most. There's times where family feels hopeless in just the busyness and the chaos of what you just saw in that video. There's other times when family feels hopeless because you're just at a dead end in your marriage or in your parenting uh, or maybe just in your own life and it's affecting the people around you. I hope you know, as we go through this series on family, um, that I'm so excited to take you to the promises of God, the hope of God, uh, because me and Mel, we've been through seasons in our marriage, especially in our first seven or eight years, where if it was not for God, we would not have made it. And I just remember that feeling of feeling so hopelessly stuck. Do you know that feeling? Like you just can't resolve the tension and It just feels hopeless. And I remember, I mean, I've got some strong-willed kids, and I I pray that God continues to work in their lives, but there have been so many times where I see where their heart is going, or um, I just, you know, can't get them under control, especially when they were younger, and just times of just feeling hopeless. So whether you're here today and you kind of feel hopeless in just the craziness and the busyness, you know you're going to make it. Or maybe for you, that hopelessness is that real, this is impossible. I want to give you some hope today. In fact, let's start with that question. Is there any hope for your family? And depending on where you're at emotionally, where Eddings are at in your family right now, that question probably hits you a lot of different ways. Uh, To some of you, you're probably like, well, yeah, there is. We'll just keep working harder and doing our best. Others of you, God brought you here today because you're at a place where on your own, your answer to that question, if you're totally honest just between you and God, would be, John, I don't know. I really don't know if we're going to make it. You know, I've learned that if you're doing family right, it feels really hard sometimes. If you're actually being intentional as a spouse or as a parent or as a grandparent, if you're actually aware of what's going on in the life of your spouse, of your kids, of your grandkids, there are going to be moments where you just think, "I I can't do this. There's no way that I can do this. You know, in the last two weeks, here's just a few of the situations of families in our community where parents have come to me. One uh, family has a middle school daughter with an eating disorder. Because of what society says about what value is, that it's based on your body and not your soul, which is not true, um, she just wants to be as skinny as she can be, and so she won't eat enough food. Talked with another family this week whose high school student ran away from home because of the conflict in the house. Learned of a family in our uh, church where uh, at school, one of their kids was physically exposed to another kid who kind of violated her space, and they're just trying to figure out how to navigate that. Talked with a high school student whose close friend is trying to decide what their sexual identity is. And this high school student saying, as a follower of Jesus, how do I navigate this conversation? Uh, So many conversations, so many real challenges. A college student uh, at a college here in Indiana who grew up in the church, who reached out to say, John, I'm trying to figure out, do I actually believe this stuff now that I'm out in the world for myself? I don't know what kind of challenges your kids are facing, 
or what kind of challenges you're facing in your marriage. Or maybe it's the challenge of facing grief, going through mourning. When we lose a loved one, it strains our relationships because we're all just kind of beaten down and we're out of energy. I don't know where your situation looks hopeless, but here's what I do know. God does have hope for you today. Broken families we're going to see are the norm. What you're experiencing is the norm because we live in a world broken by sin. But the good news is there's no brokenness that Jesus cannot transform. No matter how broken your family is, take hope. It is the norm. What you're going through, it feels like you're the only person in the world going through it, but you're in a movement full of thousands of people. All our families are broken. Broken families are the norm, but there is nothing that Jesus cannot transform. And God brought you here today to give you that hope. And I actually want to start off as we answer this question about hope for your family in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, we're going to see how hopeless human families are apart from God's intervention, apart from God being the God of your family, apart from God being actively involved in your heart and the hearts of your family members. Here's the natural state of humanity. The very first family, Adam and Eve, perfect kids in a perfect environment. And what do they do? They choose the one sin. I would love it if there was only one sin in life. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'd do a lot better, I think. But probably I'd be like Adam and Eve, right? Like, here's all these uh, fruit trees. Here's all the organic, tasty, amazing everything you need. There's just one to not eat from. Just one. Because if you eat from that one, it'll open your eyes to evil. And evil will flood in to you and to all of planet Earth and to all of humanity. But they just couldn't resist the one. And then sin enters the world. And within one generation, we pick up in Genesis 4, verse 8. Adam and Eve have two boys. One's named Cain. The other one is named Abel. Cain says to his brother, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother. He was jealous. He had pride in his heart. He had anger in his heart. That anger manifested itself physically. And he physically beats and kills his brother. This is the natural state of humanity apart from God. Now, to make this a little bit lighter, uh, I'll let you in on one of my quirks. Uh, I'm not an optimist by nature, believe it or not. And I've really, as I've read the word of God and God has transformed my mind, I've just had to choose to be a relentless optimist. And so sometimes I go a little over the top and it can annoy the people around me because they're like, especially my wife, Mel. So I'll, I'll just like always say like, well, there's going to be something good. And she's like, John, come on. You have to deal with reality. But I do this thing when we're having a bad day. Uh, and a lot of times she just needs to talk it out where I'm like, hey, hey, wait. You know, none of the kids are in the hospital. The mortgage is paid. Uh, we've got a house that has a heater. Like, come on, let's just be grateful. And that's one of our tensions in our marriage is not that she's not also an optimist, but she's a lot better at acknowledging her feelings and dealing with them that I am. So here's my trick for you. Next time your kids get in a fight or there's a conflict in your family, just look to Genesis 4 verse 8 and be like, well, did anybody kill each other? <laughs> no. Hey, we're doing pretty good then. We're doing better than Adam and Eve. And I mean, they actually had walked with God in the garden. So come on, we're doing better with less. Check out some of these traits of the families of note in the book of Genesis. These, by the way, are the good people in the book of Genesis. This is Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Lot. They rebelled against God. They were jealous. There was lying. There was drunkenness. There was a total failure to lead his family in the case of Lot, who moved his family into a wealthy city, and they got carried away by the godlessness and immorality in this city. These traits are the traits of the good people in the book of Genesis. And here's the thing, if we're honest, these are our people. This is where we come from. This is our lineage. Uh, I don't know if you're like me, but I absolutely hate it when I go to the doctor's office and they give you like a binder of paperwork to fill out. 
Am I the only person in the world who's like, can there not be a centralized system where we fill this out one time on our computer, and every time we go in, we give them a little, you know, USB card or something, and they all, like, why do we, it's 2022, people. I know they don't want to be sued, but why are we having to do this every single time? But as you go through that, and I love all you doctors and nurses, you guys know that. I'm just playing with you, okay? I know you have to do that for your liability insurance, whatever, okay. But you go through that list, and it's like, you know, have you, do you have any relatives who have a history of skin cancer? Anyone in your family, has they, have they had diabetes? Have they had heart disease? And the reason that your healthcare provider wants to know those things is because that so many of them are genetic. And if your mom had ovarian cancer, you're a lot more likely to have it. And if your dad had skin cancer, you're a lot more likely to have it because these things are genetically inherited. And in the same way, we have spiritual genetics and we have inherited a nature that is mixed. While you're made in the image of God and glorious, you're corrupted and broken by sin. You've inherited that. And so from the most loving grandma to the toddler staring at you and saying, no, I won't. And you're thinking, you couldn't even go to the bathroom without me. We all have this sin nature in us. Romans 5 puts it this way. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. Two primary consequences of sin. Death to your body. That's why we face death is because sin is in our world. But also death to relationships. Sin destroys relationships. It destroys relationship with God and it destroys our horizontal relationships with each other. And because we're Adam and Eve's kids, we've inherited this. So death spread to everyone because everyone now is sinned. So here's the reality about your family. At a church like Connection Point, with the resources we have, we can give you all sorts of helpful tools to help your kids sit still in a restaurant or to help you get your budget balanced. We can give you all sorts of tools. But the most important thing, the foundational thing, is that we have to get rid of this idea that our family can really be what it's supposed to be by us just trying harder. We have to acknowledge that every one of our families is made up of individual souls who, apart from God, will have moments when they do the wrong thing. Every single husband, every single wife, every grandma and grandpa, every son and daughter will have moments when they choose the wrong thing, and it will hurt them, and it will hurt the people around them, and there's only one solution to this problem. Romans 5 continues, for the sin of this one man, Adam caused death to rule over many. I haven't parented perfectly, but this is one thing I've gotten through pretty well with my kids. When they see brokenness in the world, they'll be like, man, why did Adam and Eve have to do that? That's a good sign in your parenting. You, you want your kids to understand that the pain they feel, the funerals they go to, that hospitals exist, that sickness exists because of sin, because of Adam and Eve. But here's the good news, even greater is God's wonderful grace. What is grace? Well, it's undeserved forgiveness with undeserved favor heaped on top. The forgiveness and his gift of righteousness. What is righteousness? That sounds like a churchy word. It's the opposite of sin. Where sin brings death, righteousness restores it revitalizes. And where you can't restore certain relationships, including your relationship with God, in your strength, Jesus has made it possible that you can receive this gift of restored relationship, first with God when you receive Jesus for salvation, and then as he transforms you, you're able to restore relationships as much as is your part around you. The verse continues, this gift of righteousness is for all who receive it. That's the moment you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. If you haven't yet done that, you can do that today. Everyone who receives it will live in triumph over sin. Do you know that's true of you if you're a follower of Jesus? 
Now, in this life, it's a slow progression of two steps forward, one step back. We, we make victory on a sin, and then we have a little defeat, and we keep going as we follow Jesus. But when we get to heaven, we're going to be completely free from sin. This isn't a hope. This isn't a maybe some believers will. This is everyone who's trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. 100 years from now, when you and I are together in a perfect place, eating from the tree of life, a restored garden of Eden, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, we will be completely free from sin. We will triumph over it because of Jesus' resurrection. And not only that, you will triumph over death. And so when cancer comes your way, or when you lose a loved one, you have a hope as a follower of Jesus that death for us is not a permanent condition. It's a transition into a better state. All who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death. How? Through this one man, Jesus Christ, his work on the cross. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. Verse 18, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Can we get an amen on that? Like, I mean, that is, that is the heart of God. That is the center of the whole Bible. Like, this is what it's all about. Jesus came to do what you can't do for your relationships. He came to restore you, to heal you from death, and to heal you from sin and all of its consequences. And the reality, whether today you feel hopeless about your family just because of the world around you or the busyness or something within you or how broken your marriage is, Jesus is the only hope for your family. Oh yeah, there's some smaller hopes that could maybe get you through the next month or get you through one little thing, but there's only one hope that could guarantee that your family will be together 100 years from now. There's only one hope when sin has come in and strained a relationship that can heal not just the behaviors, but the deeper heart conditions of everyone involved. There is real, tangible hope for your marriage. It's found in Jesus. There is real, tangible, life-changing hope for your child or your grandchild. It's found in Jesus. There's real, life-giving hope when you're grieving. It's found in Jesus. I want to encourage you with this idea, whatever your family is going through, Jesus can redeem it. I have to believe that that's why God in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, shows us these incredibly broken families, that even Noah, who had so much faith, had a weak moment when he gets drunk. Even Abraham and Sarah, who had so much faith, have weak moments when they lie and when they doubt God. Even Lot, who had been raised in a family of faith and would ultimately return to the faith, failed to lead his family spiritually. Even King David, who God used to write books of the Bible like Psalms and Proverbs, had a moment at the height of his success when he becomes apathetic and then he becomes overcome with lust and then he acts on the lust and he destroys his family and other families and even harms a whole nation in the process. And yet... In all of those situations, God intervened to redeem. And then Jesus came to be the second Adam so that all who trust in him, we can experience the redemption of God in our families. What does it mean, this word redemption? What does it mean that God can redeem? Well, as a car guy, I prefer a visual to answer that question. And here's a good visual of it. This nice classic Mustang. You look at the same car on the top there before it was restored, and this is how God describes you, your beautiful child, even your loving grandma, apart from Jesus, made in the image of God. Some of the pieces are there. Capability to do great things and to love deeply and to be noble and to self-sacrifice, and yet pieces are missing Pieces are corroded for each of our souls apart from Jesus. When we trust in Jesus, he begins the redemption or the restoration of our soul. And as we continue to follow Jesus and grow in him, and as we surrender the different areas to him, you know, I mean, a car restoration like this, there's times 
you know, where, where there's a metal grinder who's grinding off the rust. There's painful moments as you continue to surrender to God and say, Lord, have my mind, have my habits, transform my relationships. I can't control who my wife's going to be, but I can control, Lord, help me to be the godliest husband I can be. Help me to be the best dad I can be. Lord, I need you to fill in the gaps where in my nature I'm not patient, I'm not forgiving, I don't have enough perseverance, I don't have enough faithfulness in myself, but Lord, I surrender to your hands. Would you redeem, would you reconcile, would you change me? Well, I want to give you an example of what this looks like, because the reality is, for those of you online and those of you here in the room, that we're a church of thousands of people, actually thousands of marriages, where uh, hundreds of us have seen that apart from God's work in the marriage, it would not have worked. Uh, and I want you to see one of those where the marriage was going through a time of grief that led to a time of doubt. And I want you to see how Jesus can redeem. Go ahead and take a look. Oh, when we first got married, it was, oh man, I don't know. Life was good. <laughs> Life was easier. Life was very easy. <laughs> it seemed easy, but we didn't realize yeah. how easy it was. Yeah. Because it was sort of just like, we were out for like a date night. We were like, sure, we should, we should have a kid. And we had been married over a year. So in the, within the first year, maybe, maybe we'd celebrated our first anniversary, yeah. right? Yeah. And then what'd you say, two, three weeks later? I was pregnant. She was pregnant. Yeah. So it came pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> so we thought. So we thought, yeah. If I can remember, I believe you had a... A onesie. A onesie, yeah, a brown, a brown onesie with orange lettering, I believe. Like, it said dad, it I It said think. dad, it said dad, and I just remember, wow, that was quick. When, when because we, I was like, we just started talking about having kids. And, and now we were having And one. now we were having a kid, and I was, I was so excited. <laughs> I was, I was thrilled. I was ready to be a dad, ready to start a family. That is yeah. like, by far, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, like the best feeling, like getting to tell your spouse that you're expecting your first baby. Yeah. At about, man, 26 weeks probably pregnant, yeah. um, we went in for an ultrasound to kind of just double check everything and And they, they said there wasn't a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, Lydia Claire was her name. Yeah, Lydia Claire. You know, I wasn't in her position where she was caring, but I felt hopeless. And just so shocked. Like, how do you, I mean, how do you like, we had to sign a birth certificate and a death certificate in one day. Like we just weren't, there were, we were making a lot of choices in a really short amount of time. And it was just a lot. You get a lot in your head when something, when something like that happens and it was tough. There were conversations. <sighs> that maybe, maybe we just shouldn't do it, you know? Yeah. Maybe we'd be better off uh, going, our own, going our own ways. We'll always be a family, but maybe we're just not meant to be together. We've definitely had those conversations. I wasn't a, a believer at that time. Uh, I remember cussing him a lot during that time and, and, you know, saying, always having that if in my mouth, if you are real or if, you know, this is what happens. Um, you know, at the time we had some friends that kept encouraging us to come to church with them at Connection Point and we turned them down a lot, yeah. a lot. And finally it was like, no, Nate, I came to Nate with it and we showed up on a Sunday. Every week I kept going has been like, kind of like some other stories you hear. It's, uh, is he talking to me? It's like, I just came up with that. I mean, yeah. 
I do remember being in that season and showing up at Connection Point and Pastor Steve was there at the time and kind of like Nate said, you're there and you're like, oh my gosh, they're talking to me. And that is, we kind of sat there and <laughs> Pastor Steve was giving a sermon on marriage and working through tough times and things like that. And we were strongly considering throwing ours away. And I remember sitting there and they just kind of reached over and yeah. just grabbed my hand and squeezed. And I just thought, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna be okay. I don't know what that's gonna look like, but we're gonna be okay. And I like to share our story because I think that it's important to share when you actually see your prayers being answered. And um, I mean, I have two kids upstairs that are perfectly healthy and I just, I never, this isn't going anywhere. I, I mean, and I just, you don't always get to see that. Like there's so many times in your life where like your prayers are answered and you don't even realize it happened. And I feel like I'm very aware that it happened and I feel really lucky to see that. I, our, our faith and the way that we raise our kids now, like all of our conversations seem to come back to that. Like we're trying to teach our child sportsmanship and it's like, well, let's pray on it. You know, just like everything is, it's such a part of our life now. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't no. before. We, d we decided we had somebody else in our corner, I guess, during those times. Beautiful story, yeah, let's celebrate God's work in Nate and Shanna's life. Broken families are the norm. There's nothing that Jesus cannot transform. If you're here and you're with your spouse, uh, I hope you just take their hand right now as a way of non-verbally just following Nate's example. He wasn't even a believer yet, but he let his wife know, hey, I'm, I'm in this thing. Let your spouse know that you're in this. Let them know that you, you want to see God redeem. You want to see God transform. You want to see God heal. Don't throw it away. Don't give up. There's not another person out there that it's going to be easier with. It's hard. There's not a perfect spouse out there. If you're a child and you're here, maybe you're a teenager or a college student or a young adult, and if there's been strain in your relationship with your parent, if they're nearby, I, I'd encourage you, if you want to let them know that you want to see God redeem and work, uh, grab their hand if you're, if you're just saying, I want to see God work. The beautiful thing about the power of Jesus is that we don't have to fix it all on our own. Our decision is to come to him for help. And Nate and Shanna, they're just such a, a beautiful picture of that. When it was hopeless, they came to the right place, the house of God. And then as they heard the word of God, they responded, and God will show you. If you say, God, show me what to do, and I'll obey, he'll show you what to do in your marriage. He'll show you what to do in your parenting. God offers redemption, but then the choice is ours. Just like you have to choose to believe for your salvation, if you want to see God work in your family, you have to make some choices. Here's some of the choices from the book of Genesis. Think about this. God comes to Noah. He says, there's going to be a worldwide flood. It's going to wipe out humanity. But Noah, I see that you're a man after my heart, and here's the way out. But Noah had to build. He had to cut down trees. He had to be laughed at. To see God's redemption, Noah had to do something. Same is true for Abraham and Sarah. God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you so you can bless others. I've got all these big promises for you. But Abraham and Sarah, if you want to experience my redemption on your life, Abraham and Sarah were barren. They couldn't have kids. He says, I'm going to do a miracle, but you've got to move. They had to like literally physically move. Lot, when the angels of God came to Sodom and Gomorrah and said, there's a judgment coming on this city. The whole thing's going to burn up. Lot had to flee. He had to believe God and he had to move his feet. King David, after he sinned, and it brought so much destruction into his family and into his nation, a prophet of God came to David and David had to repent. 
So God's redemption is available to each of us individually and to our families, but just like these heroes of the faith who were broken like we are, we have to choose to do what God tells us to do. Jesus put it this way in John 8. He said, if you hold to my teachings, then you are really my disciples. The word disciple means follower. That's why here we often say we're a movement of followers of Jesus. We want to maximize and multiply followers of Jesus and gatherings of Jesus' followers. But we live in a time when many people say, oh, I'm a Christian or I'm a follower of Jesus, and yet they're not actually making any effort to follow Jesus. And by Jesus' own words, he would more or less say, you're not actually a disciple. You're not really a disciple. You're not really a follower of mine if you're not making any consistent effort to hold to my teachings, to do what I say. Now, he's not saying you have to be perfect. He's very clear about that. But would the trajectory of your life, would the graph of your life show that you're making a consistent effort to follow Jesus? And he says here, more or less, if it doesn't, then just be honest and don't say you're a Jesus follower. But if it does, if you do follow his teaching, not perfectly, but consistently, then look at the promise in the second half. Then you will know the truth, that is the word of God, and the truth will set you free. The areas where you're stuck, the areas where you need freedom, when you'll follow what Jesus says to do in that area, that's what will set you free. And so just like Noah had to build, and Abraham and Sarah had to move, and Lot had to flee, what do you need to do? You need to hold to Jesus' teachings. And by the way, you're doing it right now. What does it look like? It looks like gathering here or being online every weekend and listening to the word of God and obeying it. It looks like having close friends in your life who are also following Jesus. If all your closest friends are not following Jesus, you're going to have a hard time following him. Well, as you follow Jesus and hold to his teachings, you will learn hundreds of things that will help you in your relationships. Uh, and we could, I mean, we could literally go through hundreds of them, that love covers a multitude of sins, that when you're following Jesus, he'll allow you to be forgiving when you couldn't be in your own strength. He'll allow you to be faithful when you couldn't be in your own strength. And so I can't compress the whole Bible into the rest of our time, but I want to give you three traits or three lifestyle habits that define a follower of Jesus and I've picked these three because these are the three that define Jesus' following families. If you want to see your family following Jesus and transforming, these three traits will get you moving in that direction. And the first is this cycle. I use the recycling symbol because we're being redeemed. We're being restored. We're being transformed Aluminum cans, when I was a journalist, I had to do a story on recycling, and it's a super complicated thing and loses money most of the time. But there's one uh, product that is really easy to recycle and is actually very efficient, and that is aluminum. I mean, you drink an uh, a drink out of an aluminum can, you toss it in there, they sort the aluminum out. All they've got to do is melt it down, and they make new cans. It's super efficient. But it has to be melted down to become a new can, unless you want someone else's germs. In the same way, that redemption, that transformation, remember, broken families are the norm, but there's nothing Jesus can't transform. If you want him to transform, you've got to go through this process. It starts with repentance. All these things are true of your relationship with God, vertical, and they're true of your relationships with your spouse, your kids, your in-laws. When you sin, not if you sin, when you sin, when I sin, we all sin. For there to be meaningful healing from that, there has to be repentance. This is why with, uh, with our kids, when one of them loses their temper on the other one, we work really hard for the one who's forgiving to not say, that's okay, because it's not okay, but to instead say, uh, I forgive you, because the person who did the wrong needs to actually repent. They need to not just, oh, I have to be nice to you now because mom and dad said so, or I won't get device time. They need to understand this is another person made in the image of God, and God says it's a sin to treat a person that way, and there needs to be repentance. Repentance plus forgiveness leads to restoration or redemption, and so this happens in your soul. 
when you repent of your sins to God and he forgives you through Jesus' work on the cross and you get restored. And this happens in every healthy marriage. I mean, I don't think a week goes by that either me or Mel don't do something that either really bugs the person or we actually, it's like, man, I was just being selfish. I was not even thinking of you in that moment. Will you forgive me for just only thinking of myself? And then if you get another person who's saying, I forgive you because I know that I do that too. And the person who's not being all judging, like, well, yeah, how could you do that? You know, but another person who has the humility to say, yeah, I've done that too. Repentance plus forgiveness leads to restoration. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So don't feel like you're being singled out. Didn't put it in the notes, but 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, if you confess your sins, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's that recycling triangle. We all sin. It corrupts our relationships. Repentance plus forgiveness unlocks redemption for your relationships. So some of you, there's some parent-child relationships, and you're the parent, and now your child's like 30 or 40 or 50 years old, and you feel like because you're the parent, you never need to humble yourself and acknowledge when you've done something wrong. Guess what? You're not going to have a fully restored relationship with that child or that son-in-law or that daughter-in-law until you, even though you're the older one and you deserve honor, do the honorable thing of saying, I was wrong when I did this or when I said that. If you want to see relationships healed, you have to have meaningful repentance and then give meaningful forgiveness. This is possible for followers of Jesus because 2 Corinthians 5 says this, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. So you now, as a follower of Jesus, you have two natures inside of you. You've got your old nature, and it'll tug at you, and it'll drag you down sometimes, but you've got a new nature as a follower of Jesus. And you now have the power, the capacity to live according to your new nature. The old life is gone, the new has begun. So repentance is simply those moments when we acknowledge, hey, babe, or hey, kids, when I yelled at you, one, I was justified for these reasons. However, it was not right the way I handled it, and that was a sin. When dad lost his temper, that, that part was a sin. Now, what you kids are doing still wasn't right, but I'm going to repent of the way I handled that. Uh, and, and you guys, this is such a great teaching moment with our kids to then say, dad's a sinner, mom's a sinner, but Jesus is in our home, and that's why we're able to get along because we're new creations. And in that moment, you guys, daddy was not living out of my new nature. I was living out of my old nature. Will you forgive me? This affects every dispute, and it affects every correction of our children. That little recycling triangle I gave you. If there will be true repentance, true forgiveness, there can be true restoration. For every dispute, all the different directions in your family, as well as for the correction of our children. And I, I really want to encourage all our parents, but I want to talk specifically right now, those of you who've got um, newborns up to about middle school, you have a really key window of time. There will be a day somewhere between age 10 and 16 where you will realize that your amount of influence over your kids is now lower than the influence of their friends. That day will come. And you've got a window where they think you're the best thing in the world. You've got a window to use times of discipline and correction to point them to Jesus. And we could do a whole message series on this, but there's a better teacher than me who has, a guy named Ted Tripp. He's written a book, and there's a video study that goes with this called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Uh, we've got this in our church library. I believe it's also available online through our access to Right Now Media. Uh, this would be a great thing to go through with your small group or even as a husband and wife to say, we want to be intentional because you guys, every moment of correction or discipline is an opportunity to disciple. And I know I have to remind myself of this because those moments usually come up at the worst time when we're running late and there's other stuff going on. But those are the moments to point out that apart from God, we all do the wrong thing sometimes, that Jesus died on the cross so we can do the right things, that sin is a real thing, heaven's a real thing, forgiveness is a real thing. Now, I want to speak to those of you who've got older kids, and maybe they've made some, some decisions that you're embarrassed about or you're just grieved for them. 
And I do want to encourage you that you could be the perfect parent and your child still has a free will. Uh, Keep in mind that God is the perfect parent and uh, his first two kids, Adam and Eve, they did the wrong thing, didn't they? They they really messed up and they messed up all of humanity. And then Jesus, perfect God, had 12 followers. One of them, Judas, betrays him to death. And so parents, uh, it's this duality of saying, I'm going to do the best I can to point my kids to Jesus. I'm going to be intentional about it. I'm going to be over the top about it. But I also know that as humans made in the image of God, they have their own free will. Uh, And and when when they choose sin or if they go through a season of their life where they're turning away from God, I'm going to keep loving them. I'm going to keep praying for them. But don't shame yourself. Don't guilt yourself. I hope when we talk about parenting that you never hear, if you do all this right, it's guaranteed that your kid will turn out. Your kid has a free will. You can't control their choices, but you can control uh, giving them the foundational view of the world and beliefs that will help them. Well, here's a second trait of families that are Jesus following, and it is listening to God's word and obeying it. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter 8, if you hold to my teachings, then you're really my disciples. How do you hold to Jesus' teachings? You read the word of God and you obey it. Very simple. However, it shows up in our daily life. Here's something that has convicted me this last week as I've been praying over this message and praying for all of you. How much scripture are my kids exposed to on a daily basis? I mean, they're away at school for what, five to seven hours. They've got their friends. They've got their homework. They've got their device time. How much of the word of God are they hearing on any one given day? If they don't know the word of God, they can't obey the word of God. And the same is true for us as individuals, as adult followers of Jesus. If we don't know the word of God, we can't obey the word of God. Here's what God said to his people back in the old covenant in Deuteronomy 11. He says this about his word. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and in your minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Teach my word to your children. Talk about my word when you sit down at home, at the dinner table, at the breakfast table, when you walk along the road, or nowadays when you're driving to sports practice or you're driving to school, when you lay down for bedtime, when you're waking them up in the morning to get dressed, talk about the word of God. Uh, if you need, you know, there's so many tools, and this is where it's great to have a small group and say, what do you use, you know? Uh, Good worship music that has biblical lyrics is a great way to just get the word of God playing in your house. Uh, Deuteronomy continues. It says, write these words on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I know this is a conflict in some marriages. Like, why are there so many signs around our house? Okay, but apparently if your spouse likes Bible verses on the walls, they have uh, they have got a strong case here. Okay. When you make the word of God the filter through which you make your decisions and you filter your emotions, that's what we're trying to teach our kids to do, right? Uh, We're not going to know every decision and emotion they have. They'll reach an age where they don't tell us all those things. But when we make that the filter, we let them know, here's how mom and dad, here's how we make our financial decisions. Here's how we handle our disagreements in our marriage. Here's what I do with temptation. And we point them to the promises of God. We, We give them a grid, a worldview lens that helps them see reality through the word of God, then uh, my life's a testimony to this. My parents were all about the Bible, and I pushed away for a season, but those biblical promises they put in me, they were still in there, even when I kind of ran away from it. And God brought me back. Broken families are the norm, but there's nothing that God can't transform. So practically, real life, how do you do this? How do you get the word of God into your life daily? We'll keep coming here every weekend. That's step one. Um, Let me give you a few other steps. One would be small groups. And I've got a picture of, these are actually some small groups that are starting right now. We always talk about groups. We've got hundreds of them. But I thought, hey, why not show some of the group leaders of groups that are starting right now? That might help some of you kind of visualize, like, oh, I could see myself in that group. You get into a small group. Mine meets at 4 p.m. on Sundays. And um, we've all got kids around the same age. And we just talk through, you know, how are you handling this issue? We always go back through the, the message, which is always a little funny because a lot of times I preached it, but I don't lead the group. And everyone's like, oh, that part was weird, you know, but anyhow. But the point is, it's helping us 
go back over the word of God with other people like us so that we can live it out. Now, if you go to cp.news, you could join um, any one of these new groups, especially um, if you're in, in this stage of life. But we've got groups for every stage of life. Um, 18 to 29-year-olds, we have four groups that have kicked off within the last month or two for 18 to 29-year-olds. We've got groups of people at nursing homes. We've got groups of every age and stage of life. Uh, we've got a group for you. Also at cp.news, you'll see our Daily Hope uh, text devotional. It's a one to three minute video every day. And the theme of it is the word of God. It's to help you just start your day with a Bible verse. Also at cp.news, you can get your own life application study Bible. We'll give that to you for free if you don't yet have one. So that when you see that video devotional, then you can open your Bible and you can go deeper into it. Uh, here's what I can tell you guys. Uh, we almost can't overdo this. If we're being intentional enough, our kids are at times going to be like, Mom and Dad, really? The Bible again? That's a good thing. That's a good sign. Um, I believe with the cultural currents as opposed to Christian values as they are right now, we've got to almost overdo do this. And, um, and they should see in our lives that we're not holding these truths in a militant belligerent, divisive way, but that we're people of love and grace. Well, also at cp.news, or for those of you in the building, it's here on site at our Brownsburg campus. We have a church library, which has uh, a ton of really up-to-date resources. So with your small group or with your spouse, you can go in there and say, what, what resources do we have on money? What resources do we have on uh, marriage? What resources do we have on parenting? There is so much there. Uh, in fact, the couple that leads our financial peace ministry, we've talked about that, how hundreds of families have gotten out of debt. That's how it started. They, they were kind of struggling financially. They went into the church library. They found a book that so transformed their finances based on the principles of the word of God that now they teach that to others. So that's another resource to you. Small groups, don't forget, we've got right now media. Um, I love it when small groups do the sermon study. Uh, that's what I prefer, so we all stay unified. However, there will be times in a small group where you say, let's go deep on parenting, or let's go deep on our finances, or on our marriage, and there are literally thousands of studies available. Okay, let me give you the third trait that um, I believe is one of the, mo the most important for your family to be a Jesus-following family, and it's this, choosing God as your God. Choosing God as your God. Who your God is will show in three things primarily, your identity, who do you say you are, your time, and your money. And of course, Satan wants to be the God in your life, or he wants you to have any God other than the one true God, and so he would love for you to choose an identity other than under God. He'd love for you to do things with your time and money other than under God. In Exodus 20, God says this, you shall have no other gods before me. And I believe, God just put it on my heart to bring this one up this weekend, because as I've talked with different families about what they're navigating in society right now, this is really the core issue. Who's the God of your life? Uh, if a young person is saying, what's my identity? Well, the, the most important question is, um, are you a follower of Jesus? Have you chosen to be a follower of Jesus? For all of us who've chosen to be followers of Jesus, we now, we don't get to pick what our identity is. Our identity is I'm a follower of Jesus and I hold to his teachings and do what he says. And the same is true with my time and with my money. And we have to be honest that if God is not the God of our time or our money or our identity, we have to be honest that something else is. We have to be honest enough to say, well, I want to be the God of that. Instead of God defining that, I want to define it for myself, God gives you the freedom to do that, just like he did for Adam and Eve, but you're going to get the consequences of, of what you choose. In your life, whatever God you pick, whatever God you choose to put yourself under, you will experience the amount of freedom, provision, and eternal life that that God can provide. So if you just decide, or maybe you haven't thought of it, but you're living as if money is your God, you will get as much as money can give you. And you'll find that it's not enough. If you make sex your God, you will get as much fulfillment as sex can give you, but you'll find that it's not lasting. 
Those things, as you face aging and your body gets older and you realize, I'm going to die like everyone else. I don't know why I didn't think I would. Those things cannot give you eternal life. Whatever God you submit yourself to, that's the God that will give you the amount of provision, joy, and eternal life correlating to that God. And any God other than the one true God through Jesus Christ cannot give you eternal life, cannot heal and transform broken relationships. We must each choose if we are the God of our lives or if God is the God of our lives. So, boy, I've given you guys a lot today, and I'm going to skip to a verse in Joshua uh, 24 says this, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And I actually just want to give you an opportunity. And if you're online or over in the chapel, you can do this as well. But if you're here and you're just saying, I'm going to choose that God is my God. Um, I want to ask you to just stand with me. Just like use your body to physically declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, if you're single and you're like, I don't have a family yet. Well, as for you, do you choose to serve the Lord? I mean, let's just declare from the heart, God, you are the God of our life. And, and for our kids, for our spouses, Lord, unless you capture their hearts and transform their hearts, we can't change them. We can't fix them. We desperately need you to change us and change the people around us. If you're here with a spouse or a parent and you're in agreement of saying, I want to see God heal, redeem, transform, would you just take their hand right now? And again, just non-verbally let them know, we want to see Jesus work in our family. Let me pray that for you right now. Father, in this place, every single one of these families represents a violent spiritual battle between evil and good. There's an enemy of souls who wants to kill and steal and destroy every child, every marriage, every mind, every heart. But Jesus, you came into this world to set the captives free. You came into a world where broken families are the norm and you made it possible for us to be transformed. So God, we give you these families. We give you our church family. Lord, I pray right now as your Holy Spirit brings to, to mind, Lord, for parents, there are sons and daughters where there's just a burden. God, we need to see you capture their hearts. Lord, would you capture the hearts of our sons and daughters? Would you capture our hearts? Lord, may we be repenting and experiencing your forgiveness and your redemption, and may we model that. And Lord, we can't raise this generation without you. We can't have God-like marriages without you, and so we just humble ourselves before you. We put you back on the throne of our lives. We want to be under you, God. Would you bring your redemption? Would you help us to walk in your word and be transformed daily? And Lord, over every family here, where there's brokenness, I pray that your redemption, that your transformation would miraculously invade into hearts and relationships and heal what only you can heal. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.